Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Prospect Interview where we speak to the brightest minds of today and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Rebecca Liu. This week we will be talking to the writer Natasha Brown about her debut novel, Assembly. Assembly follows a young black British woman working in London's financial industry who is torn in many directions. She's preparing to go to a family party held in her wealthy boyfriend's lavish countryside estate. Praised by the likes of Bernadine Evaristo, and its creative experimental form explores race in today's Britain, the bustling rhythms of working in the city, the the divide between the haves and the have-nots, and, as Natasha tells us, millennial burnout. Natasha Brown, thanks so much for joining me on the Prospect interview. Thanks for having me. Um, Thank you for writing Assembly. It's, It's such an amazing and original novel. Tell me a little bit first about how it came into fruition. Uh, well, thanks, yes. I have always been a reader. I've read for a very long time. Uh, and it was in 2019, actually, I decided to take my first writing class. It was a Saturday um, sort of series of classes at Goldsmiths University. And that's when I started uh, some short story writing and just feeling out worlds and characters. And as I sort of got a bit further the sort of weekend and some of the side characters of Assembly started to come out and then it got to a point where I felt like I could fit the narrator in and it suddenly came together and then was a bit more of a I guess official project (laughs) to try and turn it into this novel so quite organically to begin with. That's amazing and and you've said you've always been a reader what were some of your favourite books growing up? Uh, So growing up I read a bunch of different stuff Um, I think what, my favourite books as a teenager, actually, I think The Unbearable Lightness of Being was one. Uh, Intimacy uh, by Hanif Qureshi was another one. Um, I was also very fond of Laurie Moore. Um, and I think I'm still fond of all of these books. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hate them all now. Growing past it, no. Um, and Raven, Raymond Carver as well, when I discovered him, was just a kind of, I like that sort of very, I guess, crisp and yeah, tight style of writing. And it's interesting that you say that you um, explore the side characters first and the narrator came later, just because when I think of novels, the, the narrator is such an entry point. 
that, you know, people would assume that came first. So how, how was that like for you? Did you realize you're writing around all these people and suddenly here's someone, here's a presence that can kind of bring them all together? Mm, yeah, I didn't know what form this was going to take to begin with and whether even all of these characters, their stories would connect. So I was really trying to feel them out, get a sense of them. And once I felt like I had their arcs in place, their stories, I knew what they were afraid of, what they wanted, what they were trying to do. I quite intentionally wanted the narrator to be the person who fit in the space they left behind. And that's really her defining characteristic. She's adapted to the space that's left for her. So it was quite an intentional approach in. I felt it helped me to create a very uh, sort of constricted and, um, you know, tight feeling for her. Yeah, and, and you mentioned form there and, and the different ways of telling the story. So, some reviews of the novel have, have kind of compared the, the composition and the form of the prose to Jenny Offal or Patricia Lockwood or the sort of rise of more fragmented prose in recent years. Um, how did you come to the, the, the novel's form and why did you choose to write in that? Mm, I think it, it's kind of interesting that the fragments get pulled out because I think a good chunk of it certainly isn't fragments. It's pretty traditional style um, writing. I think for me, I was reading a mix of nonfiction, poetry, fiction, absolutely everything, flash fiction. And when I came to writing, I felt like I could pull from any of those things. And I really wanted to treat form like any other aspect of writing in the sense that it was something I could vary to help me tell the story, the best way to tell the story. So I didn't want it to be flashy or annoying, but I wanted to make it, my goal was to make it so that you couldn't separate the story from how it was being told. So a lot of the different scenes, I approached them with different ways and tried them from different angles and then tried to fit together what felt to me like the best way of bringing to life this weekend. And and it's interesting because there's a way in which that form is tied to the themes or the content of the story and that, as you say, the narrator feels very squeezed in and, and trying to find ways to fit across all these things. So there's a way in which... The, the form of the novel reflects her state of mind and how she is a person in, in her world. Absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, for a lot of it as well, it reflects who she's around. And it, she takes on a different way of narrating the story depending on the types of characters who are interacting with her. Yeah, and, and let's go to some of um, the people that she's around. <laughs> um, I, I really love the descriptions of, of the finance world. You have some great characters in the novel from her friend Rach, who's just incredibly ambitious, but also a little bit, you know, she doesn't really know what she wants. To, to Lou as well, who's sort of a tidal wave of mediocrity. Tell me more about how you made the finance world come to life. Mm, I really think with that, less is more. I think it's not typically interesting to read um, the detail of anyone's workplace, really. <laughs> so what I really wanted to do was kind of two things, keep it character driven. And I suppose these characters, you could encounter them anywhere. And then also really focus in on the small details that are kind of a bit familiar across industries. Because I think, for me, at least I felt approaching it that way would allow people to come to it and bring their own experience. And a lot of us have worked in an office environment, even if it's not that one, and kind of fill it out and flesh it out in a way that gives some of the characters and the interactions a bit more depth. So I think it's been quite interesting to talk to people about how they've read it, because different people have read some of those interactions quite differently. But uh, I felt that trying to kind of capture this entire world would just kind of get bogged down in it. And I remember 
was it um, American Psycho? Uh, when I read that, I felt really bogged down in some of the the, the world building, and it, it made sense because I felt I understood the world, but I wanted to kind of go in the opposite direction and keep it super light. I, I guess it's interesting you say that too because I don't feel like I lost any sense of the busyness or the ambition um, that comes with working in finance. But as you say, it's probably expressed through what the characters say. I, I think we should say at this point too that you worked in financial services for a decade before moving to fiction. Um, what was that transition like? Relatively straightforward, I think. It was, um, I mean, I don't know that I have the, I guess, distance from fiction yet to kind of give a fair <laughs> assessment of it. But I think it's felt quite natural. I'd spent a while um, working and I always knew I wanted to take a break um, kind of around age 30. Uh, so it just felt like the right kind of switch at the right time. Something I'm really fascinated by is how writers take bits of their former lives um, and work it into their prose. So for example, Douglas Stewart, who won the Brooker Prize last year, was a fashion designer. And he said that there's something about the art of making clothes um, of kind of pulling a thread and going at it over and over again that really has helped him as, as a writer. Um, do you feel that way about your career in finance or is it a complete break? Yeah, I, I found this kind of difficult to answer because I think, I don't know that I pulled anything directly from it, but I think a lot of just the various things I've done during my life have all been about learning to learn and learning to kind of try new things and you know, pay attention to the details, you know, really focus in, uh, experiment. I think it's all, perhaps it's more my personality than any sort of job or anything I've had, but it does just feel a bit like a natural um, move for me. And something that the protagonist um, struggles with is the sense of she, she's entering these gleaming office spaces, she's earning a lot of money. You know, by all accounts, she, she should have made it. Um, but there's a sense that she, you have a brilliant bit where every day she says she feels dread. And, and that reminded me very much of the story that I think children who aren't, you know, born to white middle class families are told, which is if you can strive, if you can reach this sphere of power, you know, you'll be saved, everything will be safe. Um, you, you will have kind of redeemed yourself and, and brought, lifted us as well up in the world. And assembly feels very much a, an interrogation against that story. I think definitely, um, I'm particularly coming at it, I guess, from the millennial burnout conversation, because I think so many people talk about having these experiences in their career. And I think the financial crisis happening back in 2008 just... I don't know if um, it sort of had a bit of an influence on how a lot of folks look at their career. And certainly some people don't seem all that influenced by it. But definitely with this character, I saw it as something that is really in her mind. And she hasn't entirely, I guess, got over the sort of shock that things can just change quite rapidly. So I wanted to explore how that plays out for her and how... Um, and it's not just her. I think uh, her friend Rach similarly has this sort of sense of... Uh, chasing something or running away from something or just being uncertain whereas her boyfriend um, he, he does have things he's concerned or worried about but I guess he's coming at it more from a legacy perspective and the day-to-day -day concern isn't there for him so I definitely wanted to play around with uh, those ideas yeah 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yeah, and that's interesting you mentioned the burnout question and the financial crash because obviously with coronavirus, that's, that's been another um, huge you know upheaval in a lot of people's lives. How has being published during um, coronavirus, uh, do you think, how has that affected the way people have responded to this novel? Hmm. I think it's it's a strange time to put a book out into the world, I guess. Um, And I think I've been incredibly fortunate with the timing because uh, just as Assembly was coming out, bookshops were opening again. I've been able to visit bookshops, talk to readers, and that's all been uh, really lovely. But I guess a lot of um, the traditional things you think of to do with a book launch, or at least I thought of, you know, sort of larger events and meeting other authors, that sort of thing, isn't quite happening yet. Uh, so I feel, for me, it's been a really nice introduction. I'm not uh, a big personality. <laughs> I think probably some of those events would have intimidated me a bit. So it's been quite, I think, a nice and almost more intimate way to bring a book into the world. I wasn't uh, really a social media user beforehand, but I started an Instagram to kind of do the book thing. And it's actually been really lovely. um, And it's been a way to kind of talk to readers and talk to other writers and feel a bit more connected. So I suppose it's uh, perhaps lent to a little bit more of, I guess, a digital interaction. But I'm so glad I've been able to do the physical kind of visiting bookshops and talking to people because uh, I think a lot of, you know, when you're reading a book, it's just between you and the book. And I think that's one of the great things about reading. But then the best thing is when you put it down and can talk to people. So I'm really glad I've got to do a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. What's it been like hearing um, people sort of respond to the book? Are there things that they picked up on that you didn't, that surprised you? It's been really interesting. I think in a lot of the writing classes I did, we'd have like workshopping where you'd sort of given a bit of your manuscript and everyone would give you feedback. And it feels like a very large uh, workshop, (laughs) which has been really great. And I think it's just surprised me. And I'm really glad that it's managed to speak to folks, you know, who don't necessarily share a background with me. And I've just been kind of really just grateful that so many people have let this narrator into their world and listened to her story for a couple of days. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned, um, you know, when talking about all the characters sort of chasing after something that doesn't necessarily feel fulfilling. Um, you briefly mentioned her, her boyfriend who comes from a very different world. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about how you negotiated the many layers of privilege at play in, in the novel. There's a line that, you know, kind of goes, how do you explain air? And I think there's 
you know, a way in which growing up with many different privileges really does shape just how a person moves in the world um, in a way that can be very subtle. So, yeah, tell me a bit about how you drew that out with the boyfriend and his, you know, wealthy family. I really wanted to approach the boyfriend from a place of empathy because I think, you know, he's a fun, joyous character and I think he brings a lot of uh, life and comedy uh, to Assembly, which I think is probably a good thing. But I wanted to make sure that he felt consistent and real and that he was having, even though we don't see much of it, he was having his own journey over the course of the novel too. Uh, So the, the narrator is sort of facing this big health choice and it really does have an impact on him as well even though uh he takes a very narcissistic (laughs) response to it and I just wanted to make sure and with all of the characters that I really got into their head understood how they were thinking and tried to capture their voice and the way they move through the world in in a fair way uh but he, he was fun to write and I think it was because he's a bit free and a bit careless and he says how he feels and he does what he wants and you know if he loves something he says he loves that thing which is uh, a, a really fun character to write which maybe answers the question <laughs> there are so many passages in the novel picking out the difference between earning a high income and having long family wealth and that was great for me to see because I think for for the longest time, I had quite a naive understanding of, you know, oh, this person has a good job, they must be doing well in life. And, you know, I'll meet some people who don't seem to have real jobs and own, like, three t-shirts, and then you'd go to their family home and just be like, oh my god. So, so yeah, I, I think I, I really enjoyed how you parsed that difference. Uh, I'm so glad, because it was something I wanted to explore. I think there's a lot of conflation between income and wealth, and often from voices I think should know better to be honest Um, and I think it obscures a lot in the dialogue about inequality and obscures sort of the choices that people are making it's somewhat possible but not really possible in a single lifetime to create wealth in the same way it's possible to generate an income and that has a has an implication on how you can live the sort of life you can provide for your children uh, everything really so I, I did want to, I liked that there was the contrast between these two characters in the sense that the boyfriend tells her that she's rich, you know, she has lots of money, but it's not quite the same. And I think they both sort of do know that. Yeah, I could I could talk to you for hours about this because I have so many <laughs> thoughts. But um, yeah, it does always drive me mad how, you know, you work in finance, you know, it's like so much of the conversation around inequality is about income tax and high earners and low earners. And it's just like, you know, I just have a vague sense of, some people have assets. Yeah, I think Elizabeth Warren was a very refreshing sort of figure in American politics on that front. And perhaps it's her economics background. She brought that into the discussion, which, uh, you know, with the talk of the wealth tax, which I'm not necessarily saying solves everything, but it was refreshing to see someone talk about it in more realistic terms. And you, you kind of gestured to this beforehand um, about getting into, you know, different characters' heads. But so much of your novel touches on really, really live issues um, in the UK today from, you know, Great Britain's own lack of reckoning with its sort of history of racial violence, um, from, um, from the many layers of privilege, um, and whether that's, you know, someone working in the city or someone coming from an old, old money family and... There's, there's just so much that, you know, could be worked out in think pieces and articles and essays. Why were you drawn to fiction? What do you think it can bring the world? 
in terms of thinking about it, I think the I'm kind of quite interested in the meta conversation of how these real world issues are framed and how we approach them. And I think there's the saying, perception is reality. And I think in a lot of ways, that's really quite true. And if you're shaping perception, you're influencing what reality is. And I think, well, I, I sort of do subscribe to this idea of uh, cultural hegemony and socialising certain ideas and certain stereotypes and concepts through our cultural texts. So our books, our television, our film, music. So if I'm going to look at how we understand these topics, these big topics, it seemed to me that it was necessary to take one step back and look at how our cultural texts are shaping our approach to those topics. Uh, so that was really what brought me to fiction, I suppose, from more of a understanding it perspective. And I was reading a lot and trying to um, get my thoughts together in the sense of how I felt the interplay between fiction and these issues was playing out and the trends we were seeing in fiction. And in the end, it just seemed like trying to write some fiction <laughs> would be a helpful way into understanding uh, understanding this better. And I think it's been really interesting to take this from sort of idea to manuscript through the publication, because I feel I've had a much better understanding of how the sausage is made, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a kind of po poem or a poetic interlude in assembly that takes on the etymology or the associations different associations between the word black and between the word white. And it really drives home the point that the words that we use to communicate are not, not neutral. Um, and that has to be interrogated. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was so I was so interested in that idea and then taking it the step up as well, because if our words aren't neutral, our sentences aren't, our stories aren't, you know, we look en masse at this, it's not neutral and that's not necessarily bad, but I think it's something that perhaps we don't bear in mind all the time when we're having discussions about the real world issues. Yeah, it's it's something we should at least, at the very least, think about um, and not take for granted. Um, thank you so much, Natasha. My final question for you is um, if you're working on anything now or are you still basking in um, the publication of Assembly? <laughs> I am trying to write some more um approaching some short stories, not really finishing any at the moment, and a bit of uh, non-fiction writing too. So just trying to keep it light and explore exploratory at the moment. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's all from us this week. Thank you very much for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, please do leave us a rating and review. It really does help. Goodbye, stay safe and see you next week. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.